0: hello everybody and welcome back to i'm not the book fraud but she is the name of the show Rachel, what do you mean (laughs) that's what we talked about this morning it's not what it is
1: that is (laughs) what it is i was making a joke i was calling myself a fraud because i was having imposter syndrome Well, tell your imposter syndrome to
0: go away, because today on I'm Not the Book Expert But She Is, we are continuing our conversation on The Lightning Thief.
1: Yes, we are continuing our conversation on The Lightning Thief. I am so excited. Mm -hmm. So to recap really quickly, in the last episode, we talked about The Lightning Thief, we got the beginning of percy's journey we discovered he's the son of poseidon spoilers by the way but i feel like everyone who's listened up to this point kind of knows this and percy has gone off on his quest to find zeus's stolen lightning bolt and return it to him before all of olympus breaks out in a war So I think we'll just get right started. Um, We're actually, spoilers again, I guess. We are recording this the same day that we recorded part one, so we don't actually have any news or reading updates for you. Probably be the case for... um,
0: Most of our part twos?
1: Most of our part two episodes this season.
0: Um, We did, and by we, I mean I, wanted to talk about like book community tea, because there has been a bit that has come out um james patterson i was trying to come up with a nice title for him and i think the only thing i can come up with is author uh (laughs) (laughs) i was like can i call him acclaimed i mean technically do i want to no
1: he is an author
0: he is an author
1: Say he's an american author
0: he is an american author he is a white male american author
1: indeed he is
0: who has come out and said he believes that it is hard for white male authors to get published in the industry
1: (laughs) and i i read the article i was like surely this can't be real then i read the article and i was like my guy this can't be a real thing that a real human has said i was so wrong it is a real thing that James Patterson surely said. And I'm thinking here, Jimmy, <laughs> my friend. Have you been to a Barnes and Noble lately? Like or Seriously. anything? Have you been to the Walmart? Have you been to the the one rack of books at the giant grocery store? Like the only thing they sell there are books written by white men. And Nora Roberts. And Nora Roberts.
0: Nothing against Nora Roberts. It's just her books always stick out in my head.
1: Yeah. Um, there's a really good video that both Rachel and I watched that kind of goes into the James Patterson dra- drama, tea, whatever it is. Event. <laughs> yeah, event. So we can link that in the description too. I definitely
0: think we should. I really like her YouTube channel. Thank you mm-hmm. for introducing her to me.
1: Yeah. The YouTuber is Jess Owens. She does a lot of videos on like, tea in the book community and just like the general drama and she does a lot of good like reading videos too Mm -hmm. um so definitely worth following if you like more book content um
0: but that was that was the only thing i had because i uh just wanted to talk about it i've been saying Mm -hmm. that i don't like james patterson all that much i don't like his writing style for like years now and now i feel validated Mm -hmm. (laughs) in my dislike of him that's fair. So, but Rachel. Maggie, oh, oh, we were going to start at the same time. I was going to say, what, what are we up to first?
1: What's first on our agenda? I was going to say, are you ready for some Greek myth trivia? Am I ready for some more Greek trauma? That's not what I said, but it is also accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's go for it. We'll see how I All do. Right. I actually have four trivia questions today, but one of them's a bonus. So if you don't get it, I'm not going to count it.
0: But if I do get it,
1: do I get I will bonus points? And You if, do get a bonus points. You if, get a gold star.
0: Yes! I'll take it. We'll try.
1: All right. Question number one. The Lotus Eaters, as in the thing that the Lotus Hotel is based on, mm-hmm. are known from which Greek epic poem? So I know a grand total
0: of two Greek epic poems. And it is mm-hmm. the Iliad and the Odyssey.
1: Well, it is one of those two.
0: I'm going to say the Odyssey because I feel like the Iliad is more focused on the Trojan War and the Odyssey is literally titled The Adventure. Mm hmm. So I'm going to go with the Odyssey. Final answer. Correct.
1: Yeah. In the Odyssey, um, the main character, Odysseus, encounters the Lotus Eaters, um, I can't remember. I think some of his um, men, some of his sailors are tempted by them. I don't know if he actually loses them or if he's able to round them back up and onto the Mm -hmm. ship or not. I can't actually remember. Gotcha. It doesn't really matter because they all die eventually anyway. So like kind of a moot point. No offense to those guys.
0: Um, Maggie, they were in fact fictional.
1: This is true. Question number two. Okay. aside from being i don't actually remember the answer to this one so don't look i'm gonna look at the answer oh okay my eyes are all right you can look now okay aside from being a very good boy what else is cerberus known for in greek myth and i'll give you a hint it relates to a pretty famous greek hero was it one of the seven things that heracles had to do it's not seven, but yes, I think there's 12. Okay. right is it Trials? Yeah. It's the 12 labors of Heracles. Labors. And Cerberus okay. is the last one. He had to um, capture Cerberus. Okay. So yeah,
0: look at you I, go. I consider that a win.
1: I, I got would the consider wrong, that a win.
0: But I got the right story. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. It wasn't, I wasn't really concerned about the number. If you said Heracles had to do a thing with him, I would have been like, yeah, that makes sense tracking some would say maggie you're being too generous with the trivia questions and i say to those people who's in charge here i'm in charge um i would say crow fingers at them and if you understand that thank you for getting my reference <laughs> okay last myth question four or five depending on how you count it mythical heroes have been said to travel to the underworld while still living and return can you name two of them
0: Heracles is in my opinion for sure one. hmm Orpheus. hmm Can I keep trying? Yeah, keep going. Uh Odysseus.
1: Mm-hmm. Theseus? Yes. The last one's a little tricky.
0: I don't know the last one, so I'm going to take a stab in the dark and just
1: say Jason. It is not Jason. It okay. is Aeneas, um, Okay, who isn't really Greek. I mean, he's Greek myth adjacent because the Aeneid is Roman. Yeah. Um, but Aeneas does appear in the Iliad. It's just not really part of the story in the Iliad. I'm going to take that, though, because I did get four out of five. You got four of them. The one that is kind of iffy is Odysseus, because, like, technically he doesn't go to the Underworld, but, like, he gets pretty close. So I was going to count that. There you go. I I am three for three right now. Three for three right now. And finally, this will lead right into our discussion today. How tall is the Gateway Arch? Uh,
0: The correct answer is hella tall. That is correct. <laughs> I would like a more mathematical guess. Gosh darn it. Um, I have seen it from really? afar. Yeah. So my family drove across the country when we moved from Washington State to Maryland. That makes um, sense. And we drove past it. I'm going to say it is at least 600 feet. And if you want me to give you a specific answer, I'm going to say 637 feet because 37 is my sister's
1: favorite number. It is 630 feet.
0: I'm going to take that as a win.
1: I'm going to take that (laughs) as a win. So now you get a bonus point. Yes,
0: I am four for three, technically.
1: (laughs) Gold star. (laughs) Yeah, so the Gateway Arch is 630 feet tall or 192 meters for those of you who are not in the United States, which, you know.
0: There's a couple of There's a couple of you. Um, however, the most accurate measurement is hella tall.
1: Correct. Yes. <laughs> well, speaking of the Gateway Arch... Are you ready to talk about The Lightning Thief Part 2?
0: I am so ready to talk about The Lightning Thief Part 2. In reviewing our notes for this, there were many points where it just says Rachel's rantings. Mm-hmm. So uh, be prepared.
1: <laughs> Fasten your seatbelts, folks. It's going to be a wonderful ride.
0: Oh, I was going to say bumpy. So uh, it'll be a ride.
1: <laughs> it'll be a ride. <laughs> Rachel, would you like to read our um, summary for this part of the book? The second I half would of the book? love
0: to. After defeating Medusa, Percy, Annabeth, and Grover continue west in search of Zeus's lightning bolt. They meet monsters at national monuments, gods at roadside diners, and an adorable underworld dog. Meanwhile, things are growing tense at Camp Half-Blood, and Percy is wanted by the mortal authorities. Will the trio be able to find the stolen lightning bolt before Olympus breaks out in an all-out war?
1: Dun-dun-dun! I was
0: thinking the exact same thing.
1: And just as a refresher, we mentioned these in the last episode, um, but just a couple of trigger warnings for the lightning thief. Um, There are mentions of, there are instances of abusive relationships, um, death, and murder. So just be mindful Mm -hmm. of that as you read this book and listen to this podcast, because we will likely be talking about some of those things. Indeed. So in our preparation for this episode, Rachel brought up the very good point in that, Maggie, you mentioned that there was a prophecy in part one. (laughs) You did not talk about the prophecy at all. And I was like, you're right, Rachel. I'm just a moron. So before we continue. Um, Actually, in the notes, you
0: said knucklehead.
1: Okay, I am a knucklehead. (laughs) I would not
0: say those words, but I just wanted to make sure you were accurate to your notes.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for correcting me in my insults to myself.
0: You're welcome. What else are friends for?
1: (laughs) Um, So, just because we will likely be talking about the prophecy that Percy received from the Oracle, here is that prophecy in its entirety You shall go west and face the god who has turned. You shall find what was stolen and see it safely returned. You shall be betrayed by one who calls you a friend and you shall fail to save what matters most in the end. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So just keep that tucked in the back of your mind as we talk about the bulk of Percy's quest here.
0: And everything in this prophecy is related to this second half of the book. Yes. Like the only thing that is happening before that is you shall go west but they're traveling west the entire time
1: yeah it that that is like the most direct line of the prophecy
0: yeah there there's no question about when this one happens Mm
1: -hmm. yes they are going west that is a fact and as they're going west they go and they take a train from new jersey and they end up at the gateway arch they have like I don't know if you call it a layover when you're on a train, but they have like a stop there for a little while what, before they can continue on the train west. Mm-hmm. And Annabeth is like, hey, the Gateway Arch, an architectural wonder, because Annabeth loves architecture. So they go and they um, visit the Gateway Arch.
0: Pause. If our one personality trait is books, her one personality trait is architecture. Correct. Please continue.
1: I would like to rephrase that as like the hyperfixation almost. <laughs> I yes, feel like that's that is more accurate to us and to Annabeth. That is fair. I just and I, I mean keep... go ahead. I, I mean that like nicely. I know some people oh, yeah. are like, oh, you hyperfixated on this thing as like an insult. I mean that very kindly. Like this yes. is Annabeth's thing that she loves and will always be down to like learn more about and talk about.
0: I just keep thinking about the conversation I had with my students. And they were like, oh, you have a podcast? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, what's it about? And I'm like, I have one personality trait to you. What is it about?
1: I am an English teacher. <laughs> what do make, you think my podcast is about? You make
0: fun of the number of books I read. Like, use your critical thinking skills here. It's not that hard. Yep. I love my kids
1: just for the I effort. know you do. So they're in the museum at the monument there. And Percy's like, you know, I'm not really one for museums. He says, it wasn't all that thrilling, but Annabeth kept telling us interesting facts about how the arch was built and Grover kept passing me jelly beans. So I was okay. (laughs) And I was like, what a mood, Percy. I love him. Honestly, that is exactly how you
0: get like children to go through a museum when not everybody's interested in it is like, you just pass them some sort of food or like play item every Mm -hmm. so
1: often. And they're like, this is the best day ever. Exactly. Anyway, um, at the gateway arch, they take the elevator to the top and they're looking around. And then one of the attendants there says like, okay, Hey, we're closing up for the day. And, They're loading up the elevator to go back down and Annabeth and Grover get in, but there's not enough room for Percy. And Annabeth's like, oh, no, don't worry, we'll wait here with you. And Percy's like, no, you go ahead. I'll just wait here. It'll be fine. Because Percy would rather inconvenience himself and put himself in danger before he would inconvenience anybody else, which is another really big mood.
0: In his defense, he didn't know he was
1: in danger. Correct. But yeah, Percy does turn out to be in danger because he, at the top of the gateway arch, he is confronted by, you know, what? I don't know how to say her name. If it's a hard C-H or a soft C-H. Echidna? E- Echidna? Echinda. I don't think that's right. I think it's a hard C-H sound. I'm going to go with a hard C-H because it's Greek. Echidnas. Is the Echidnas. Plural. Echidna. So he is confronted by Echidna, the mother of monsters, and a Chimera, and Percy is the only one up there who can face her. Also, let's just talk about the Chimera for a second. Um, it's, it's got poison. It's dangerous. It's, it's dangerous. It's an angry dog. It's an angry creature of some kind. Yes, it is an angry dog. It's, it's a got a serpent chihuahua. tail, a lion's mouth fangs, poison, anything you could think of, it's got it. All that to say, Percy is in some pretty big danger, like uh, even more than Medusa. I think the Chimera is the most dangerous monster he's faced so far. Um, More than the Furies, more than Medusa, and especially because he's the only one who can face them. And there's a mortal mm-hmm. family up there, like they can't see everything because the mist hides it from their eyes, but... They're also in danger. Yeah. And the Chimera blows a hole in the side of the gateway arch. But the Chimera backs Percy to the opening and Echidna's like, what are you going to do? She says, this is page 210. She says, if you are the son of Poseidon, you would not fear water. Jump, Percy Jackson. Show me that water will not harm you. Jump and retrieve your sword. Prove your bloodline. Like she's taunting him like that. And Percy looks down at the water and he says, but this wasn't the sea. This was the Mississippi, dead center of the USA. There was no sea god here. Die, faceless one, Echidna rasped. And the chimera sent a column of flame toward my face. Have I mentioned it also spits flame? (laughs) It's a a danger noodle. Mm Mm-hmm. Father, help me, I prayed. I turned and jumped, my clothes on fire, poison coursing through my veins. I plummeted toward the river. Now, this is like a such a good scene. This might be one of my favorite scenes in the book, actually. Really? Um, That being said, there is no way Percy could have made the jump from the Gateway Arch into the Mississippi River. (laughs) No, not at all. Um, There's actually... What Rachel was referencing earlier, there's a TikTok where someone is at the Gateway Arch and they're looking down, they're like, there's no way Percy made this jump. Like, but we're just going to pretend that isn't a thing for a second. This is a fantasy world. It's very much like our world, but maybe there's some different things. Like maybe he can reach the Mississippi from the Gateway Arch.
0: I just have this image of a column of water coming out of the Mississippi and pulling him from the air.
1: I like that idea, too.
0: Because it's kind of like what happened at the fountain with uh, Nancy, Boba mm-hmm. Fett, at the beginning. And also something that he is shown to be able to do later on in the books. Yes. I like that
1: take, too.
0: That is my, like, ice cold take for the day.
1: hmm <laughs> Yeah, that's not really a
0: hot take. It's like no. a
1: lukewarm take. I wouldn't even say it's lukewarm. It's like iced tea. It's like an iced tea take it's yeah. not even tea though it's it's just it's like a iced coke it's
0: like a it's
1: not even a coke it's just like iced water <laughs> Ice water take okay glad we come full circle here <laughs> um but the reason i really like this scene is this is the first time percy like really trusts his father and not only that like i mean i could take your leave beside and he's fine i guess but like whatever but I also think this is the first time Percy really leans into his identity as a demigod. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really key moment for him. And, you know, cause he's, he is bitter. He is angry and rightfully so he is pretty indifferent to the gods. And this is a moment where he's like, well, I got nothing else. And he takes a literal leap of faith in some ways And I don't know. I'll put it this way. Poseidon has done nothing to deserve Percy's trust in him. 100%. But the fact that Percy still places that trust in him in this moment says a lot about Percy as a character.
0: I think it can go back to his fatal flaw.
1: Mm hmm. Which is loyalty for those of you playing along at home. Yes,
0: we talked about that in the last episode. In the last episode.
1: So Percy does survive his dive into the Mississippi. I'm sure it is not pleasant because it is the Mississippi. Um, But he does make it out fine. He and Annabeth and Grover get back to the train and they get the heck out of St. Louis. However,
0: before we leave St. Louis, Maggie, uh, Mm -hmm. we have this really big growth moment between Annabeth and Percy
1: where oh, yes.
0: they are like literally just talking and, and Annabeth is upset and they're ta- like they're talking I don't, like they're just going back and mm-hmm. forth. Um, and we get a lot of background on Annabeth and specifically how she came to camp. Right. Right. So she's talking about her dad who is mortal because her mom is uh, Athena And she goes, he doesn't care about me. She said his wife, my stepmom treated me like a freak. She wouldn't let me play with her children. My dad went along with her. Whenever something dangerous happened, you know, something with monsters, they would both look at me resentfully. Like, how dare you put our family at risk? Finally, I took the hint. I wasn't wanted. I ran away. And we find out that she ran away at the age of seven.
1: She is just a baby. That is way too long. That is way too young. I'm sorry. Way too young for somebody to be on the run from their home.
0: The one sliver, and it is a teeny, teeny, tiny sliver of, I can forgive Dr. Chase just a little bit, is Mm -hmm. that Athena had annabeth without his consent correct because athena does not reproduce in how we would consider the traditional manner of reproduction so she talks about how she is delivered um by the west wind and right how she would think that her dad would think this was a great miracle but he always talked about my arrival as if it were the most inconvenient thing that had ever happened to him.
1: I guess maybe she doesn't mention it in this scene specifically, but I don't think it's spoilers to talk about. So in mythology, Athena is born from the head of Zeus. Like she is, pardon the pun, but she is Zeus's brainchild essentially. Right. Um, and there's actually a lot of interesting um, myth surrounding like how athena comes to be that's like some very niche mythology knowledge that i won't get into right now but i know thanks to lydia um who was my roommate and was doing a um a senior project um about that partially involved athena and sort of her origin story um and she got i got to learn so many interesting things from her but all that to say athena is born from the head of Zeus. Mm -hmm. It is said in the Percy Jackson books, because Athena is technically considered in classical mythology to be a virgin goddess, and I know that's a complicated term, but for lack of a better term, that's what we're going with. Um, But the way that she has children in the Percy Jackson books is they are, again, brain children, basically. They are like formed from the intellectual connection or whatever between herself and her mortal lover. Forgive my crassness, but it's not like birth control was going to help in this situation. Right. But. So I so it's hard. So there's so there's a lot of like complicated stuff here, right? Like Mr. Chase or Dr. Chase, I forget because he's a professor, did not ask to have this child. And he's like, look, I can't raise a kid like I don't have the ability to do that in my life right now. And Athena's like, no, demigods have to be ma- raised by their mortal parents, which I think is really unfair of Athena, honestly. Like, Yeah, because there is no consent
0: taken, right? Like, right. If this were an actual like sexual encounter that resulted in a pregnancy, mm-hmm. and there was no consent taken, there would be no expectation of the party that was assaulted to then provide... F- I should rephrase that there should not be an expectation of the assaulted party to then contribute to the rearing of the child.
1: Right. Yeah. It's really messy and I don't like it. Not that that excuses his neglect of. Animus. Not at all. Like not that at is all. not an excuse. Like you, your child does not deserve to bear the brunt of your, your bitterness, yeah, dis, distress, I guess. Yeah. So Annabeth is still the victim here. And
0: percent
1: Her father needs to kind of get his act together a little bit. But at the same time, I think this is kind of a less obvious instance, but this is another instance where mortals are paying the price of the gods' act got gods' actions.
0: Mm-hmm. Also, this is the calmest rant that I have had in the history of our podcast. Yes, but it's a good rant. And I've also are... delivered this rant to you before. Yes. So, like, you you knew. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
1: So that's about everything that happens when they're in St. Louis. And then things happen. And then we get to the diner. Our gang's got no money, no food. They are hungry, tired. No idea how they're gonna keep going west, and they stop at this diner. Actually, no, I'm sorry. Before they stop at the diner, they use a little bit of their last money to stop at a uh, car wash of all places. And at this car wash, they hook they they set up the nozzle of the hose thingamajig, and they make an iris message to camp to check in on things there. And Luke is the one who answers, not Chiron. Point of
0: clarification, an Iris message is a communication using like a uh, rainbow, right? Mm -hmm. Like a a droplet rainbow to then communicate with somebody on the other side using one of the minor goddesses, Iris, as a form of communication.
1: Yes. Yeah, Iris is um, the one who... In addition to Hermes, Iris often carries messages for the gods. Um, She appears often um, in some myth myth stories. Anyway, Percy ends up kind of talking one on one with Luke and he's like, hey, how are things going there? Uh, Things are not going great at camp. Things are actually shaping up. He says, he says, word leaked out about the Zeus Poseidon standoff. We're still not sure how. Probably the same scumbag who summoned the hellhound. We'll get back to that later. Now the campers are starting to take sides. It's shaping up like the Trojan War all over again. Aphrodite, Ares, and Apollo are backing Poseidon, more or less. Athena is backing Zeus. Um, so that's not good. And then they're kind of talking about, like, Percy's like, something's not adding up about this quest. He he kind of tells Luke about everything that's been going on up until this point. Um, and he's like, Percy's like, I I feel I'm having these doubts. I don't know if Hades is the one who took the master bolt after all. And Luke thinks about this and he's like, well, you know, Hades has the helm of darkness, which allows him to turn invisible. How could anyone else sneak into the throne room on Olympus and steal the master bolt? You'd have to be invisible is what Luke says. This is page 223. We were both silent until Luke seemed to realize what he'd said. Oh, hey, he protested. I didn't mean Annabeth. She and I have known each other forever. She would never I mean, she's like a little sister to me. And then they go on about like that little sister comment a little bit. Percy has some uh has a perspective on that. But that's what's important here is Luke invokes the idea of the Trojan War, which for those who aren't familiar with it here's a quick crash course trojan war started because paris from troy stole helen of wherever she's from i forget um he kind of kidnapped her or spirited her away back to troy and all these men from troy were like hey give menelaus back his wife even though menelaus is kind of a wuss and you know probably deserved it anyway so Paris was chosen to decide a dispute between three of the goddesses, Hera, Athena, and Aphrodite. There was a golden apple thrown in by the goddess of discord, Eris, or goddess of strife, I guess, depending on who you ask. She throws this golden apple in in, that in some stories is described as like to the fairest, I think it is, or to the most beautiful. I can't quite remember. Um, And these three goddesses are fighting over it and they're like, hey, you, Paris, this kid. You pick between us who should get this apple. And each of the goddesses offer Paris something different. Aphrodite wins because she says, I will give you the most beautiful woman in the world as your wife, who happens to be Helen, who is already married. So, and that sparks the whole Trojan War. It's a big mess. Lots of people die. It's tragic. All that to say, after Luke invokes the idea of the Trojan War in this scene... He throws his own apple of discord into the trio that is trying to find the master bolt. He tries to sow doubt in their group by saying like, well, you'd have to be invisible to steal the master bolt, right? And the only other person that we know who can turn invisible is Annabeth with her hat from her mother.
0: Mm -hmm. Not only does he sow this this bit of discord between Percy and Annabeth, he does the exact same thing with Grover right before they hang up. And mm-hmm. he he being Luke is talking to Percy and is like, and tell Grover it'll be better this time. Nobody will get turned into a pine tree if he just, and then the call ends.
1: Yeah. I didn't even think of that. So yeah, Luke Luke's doing some meddling here. Luke is
0: definitely trying to isolate Percy.
1: For sure.
0: Because the easiest way to, Help somebody fail is to
1: isolate them. Mm-hmm. Think that they can't trust the only people that they have on their side, basically. Mm-hmm. So after the car wash, the gang goes to their diner, and just as they're trying to figure out how in the world they're going to pay to eat something, Ares, the god of war, shows up and comes to their rescue, quote unquote, comes to their aid he appears to them (laughs) yeah I think that's a good way to put it
0: where is here at the bottom of 224 Mm -hmm. uh I was trying to think up a sob story for the waitress when a rumble shook the whole building a motorcycle the size of a baby elephant had pulled up to the curb all conversations in the diner stopped the motorcycle's headlight glared red. Its gas tank had flames painted on it, and a shotgun holster riveted on either side, complete with shotguns. The seat was leather, but leather that looked like, well, Caucasian human skin. What an entrance. I'm gonna keep going, though. because Keep going. I, I, you'll, I think you'll understand. The mm-hmm. guy on the bike would have made pro wrestlers run for mama. He was dressed in a red muscle shirt and black jeans and a black leather duster with a hunting knife strapped to his thigh. He wore red wraparound shades and he had the cruelest, most brutal face I'd ever seen. Handsome, I guess, but wicked with an oily black crew cut and cheeks that were scarred from many, many fights. The weird thing was I felt like I'd seen his face somewhere before. Maggie, what am I going to point out in that paragraph? Ares
1: is apparently attractive? <laughs> exactly. Which, like. I guess they're gods and they can look however they want, but what? Well, okay. I don't so know. It
0: brings me back to two things. Thing number mm-hmm. one is uh back to Hangdog from The Merciful Crow when I realized that he was attractive. Yeah. And the second is uh the first time I watched you play Hades and Dionysus yes. came up, and I was like He's attractive?
1: Like... <laughs> and I also, I don't personally feel this way, but I feel like there is a general consensus that Ares' design in Hades is also rather attractive. Uh, yes. <laughs> I have seen that said on the internet, that's all I'm going to go with. I have a thing for Ares.
0: Yes, I have a thing for Ares, because... First of all, I don't really like how Ares is portrayed in these books because he is portrayed as an like an airhead, right? Like, yeah, he only cares about blood and violence and messing around with people, right? Mm-hmm. And yes, that is
1: Ares. He is like a very toxic masculine Ares.
0: Yes, but in mythology, and I, I only know this because I read the Pandora's Jar book. Pandora's which- Jar talked a lot about Ares in mythology specifically around the amazons and just based on other things i've read but Ares is like a very big supporter of women and female fighters and he is portrayed as this like super toxic hyper masculine really kind of terrible person and that's not necessarily accurate to the myth Right? Like, Mm -hmm. he is portrayed as a villain. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Rick Riordan made a choice here. Yes. And I'm not sure necessarily I'm on board with that choice, but I also don't know if I would go as far as say it's like, it was the quote-unquote wrong choice. It was definitely a choice. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a valid take, it's just not, like, my favorite take.
0: Does that make sense? Yes. I just feel overall kind of disappointed by the villainy
1: the Mm -hmm. the
0: like overt villainy i feel like aries should have been a little bit more complex than he actually comes off
1: yeah i think
0: that's fair i have aries feelings
1: Mm -hmm. well just riding along the aries train here i wanted to point out one line of dialogue that he says um during his introduction aries basically threatens one of the waitresses like very casually like like she's kind of causing she she's she's asking some questions and aries takes out this knife and he just starts using it to clean his fingernails and he's like is there a problem and she's like no and percy's like you can't just threaten people with a knife dude and aries said it goes aries laughed are you kidding i love this country best place since sparta um that's on page 227 And I just want to throw out here real quick for you to ponder at home at your leisure. If someone says your country is the best, if the god of war thinks your country is the best place since Sparta, your country might have some introspection to go through.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's a nice way of putting it.
1: That is a nice way of putting it. Moving right along.
0: Harry sends them on a little mini
1: quest. A side quest. Yes a side quest and they have to go to this defunct water park and find something that he lost there they annabeth and percy end up having to ride the thrill ride of love um which kind makes of on them, accident uh both blush yeah like, it's actually pretty hard. cute yes i'm excited to see that in the tv show mm-hmm because, like, it is weird, right? Like, especially at that age, it's like, oh, this is like, ah, even though you know nobody's going to see you, you're still like, who's going to see us? Right. Like, yeah. Um, so they do complete that quest. I don't really have much to say about that. It is a really fun scene to watch or to watch. Yep. To listen. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> to engage with. To engage with, to read, perhaps, would be the word I was looking for. Um, It is a fun scene to read, but I don't really have much to say about it. Mm -hmm. Though we do see Annabeth's fear of spiders here. Very strongly. Very strongly. And finally, as they're returning this item to Ares, and they're kind of having their last conversation with him for right now... um, Percy kind of snaps back at Ares a little bit. And one of the things that I noticed Percy does throughout his conversations with Aries is that he always refers to Ares as like just a bully, Mm
0: -hmm. which I
1: think is very interesting. Percy is not intimidated by Ares where other people would be. He's like, yeah, he's just like a bully, just like the people I had to deal with at school all the time. Like, like, it's not great, but like, I can handle this. Mm hmm. Then the gang heads to Vegas. They get a ride in the back of a...
0: The, in, a in the back of an animal transport vehicle, which Ares had arranged.
1: Mm-hmm. And the animal transport vehicle is, in fact, animal traffickers. Mm-hmm. Um. Fortunately, the great news is when they get to Vegas, the three of them do release these captive animals, and Grover being connected to nature is able to give them a, like, satyr's blessing so that they will be safe until they reach the wild. hmm So it all ends well for the animals. Um, unfortunately, the demigods don't have it so great. They're trying to find a place to stay in Vegas, and they end up at the Lotus Hotel and Casino. I forget what it's called. It's been called a bunch of things. I, I think co- that gets- people call come- It is the Lotus Casino. Sorry. It does have a hotel attached to it. Yes. So they they end up, they're like, oh, no, we can't afford this. And they get these cards that just allow them to do anything they want in this place. Um, there's video ga- There's all kinds of video games, like things better than anyone ever imagined. You can watch any TV channel. There's food whenever you want. They get showers. They get clean beds. As we kind of alluded to in our trivia portion of this episode, Lotus Casino bad. Time passes quicker there than you would expect. Mm -hmm. and you will be having too much fun that you won't want to leave and you cannot leave
0: it's like the hotel california
1: i was going to say that but then i felt kind of like a poser because i don't actually know the song i just know the line
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of funny
1: it I, is kind of funny.
0: I do, in fact, know the song, but I, I have
1: listened to the song Hotel California. I just don't know anything other than the line that I always think of when I think of the Lotus Casino.
0: They get stuck in the Lotus Casino. And it's Percy who breaks out of the trance first mm-hmm. and is like, uh, we got to get out of here.
1: <laughs> yeah. And they're like, yeah, we've only been here for a couple hours. They were there for five days which means that their deadline of the summer solstice is real close. All I want to really say about this is I know the hotel is evil and all this and like it's bad and traps people and blah, blah, blah. But you know what? It's really heartwarming to like see Percy, Annabeth and Grover get to enjoy something for once. And I know it's distracting them from their very important saving the world quest, but also like, They get to be kids for a little bit. And I think they deserved that.
0: They are 12 years old. First Mm -hmm. of all. First of all. They should not have the weight of Olympus on their shoulders. Correct. They are babies. Mm Mm-hmm. Second of all, it is such an age-appropriate thing for them to be doing. Of, like, just Mm -hmm. playing video games and being a kid and they yep. don't get that opportunity and the one time we do they essentially end up getting penalized for it mm-hmm.
1: yeah even percy mentions this is on page 261 he says i couldn't remember the last time i had so much fun i came from a relatively poor family our idea of a splurge was eating out at burger king and renting a video a five-star vegas hotel forget it So, like, especially for Percy, we don't know as much of Annabeth, Annabeth's economic background. And for Grover, he's a satyr. And I'm not saying that doesn't matter, but like he's kind of in a different world altogether. But like for Percy, especially like this is something that he could never like dream of having. And of course he's going to embrace it. I think some people could read this scene as like oh he's saying like entertainment bad it sucks the children in and never lets them go I don't think that's really the point that's needing that's really being made here especially when you consider like these are just kids who have not had easy lives and if this is their way of like if this is their one chance to get to be kids again who are we to criticize them for that you
0: know what I mean. Yes, and, like, this is the first time Annabeth has really been off of camp, like, the camp campus, and, Mm -hmm. like, Percy would never have been able to afford something like this. Like, they are literal children. Yep. This is what they're supposed to be doing. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's Percy who breaks out of the trance first, like, because he just felt like something wasn't right. Yeah. Justice for
1: Percy. Justice for Percy. Uh, Justice for all the demigods, honestly. I mean, you're not wrong. I know I'm not wrong. That's why I said it. I, I, I am well aware of that fact. <laughs> <laughs> um. So fortunately, they do escape the Lotus Casino. They get a ride in a taxi all the way to um California. And... They have a very brief encounter with um, Krusty, who sells waterbeds. Um, Krusty turns out to be Procrustes, Who is from mythology, and I'm not really familiar with his story, so forgive me if I fudge the details a little bit here. Basically, he would invite his guests over. And um, he would either stretch them or chop off parts of their body in order to make them fit this certain bed exactly. Um, very bad hospitality, not good. Zero out of 10 would not recommend, Do not recommend. on Yelp. <laughs> um, so now he has a job selling water beds. and guess what? He's back up to his same old schemes again. Um, fortunately, Percy is able to kind of trick him into testing out one of his own um, magical water beds. He's like, hey, would this, like, would this waterbed, like, you say it has, like, it, it has, like, perfect stability, like, you'll never have any ripples. Would it even work on a big guy like you? And Percrustes is like, yeah, yeah, of course it will. And Percy's like, well, why don't you show me? And, of course, that's how Percy traps the guy and defeats him. Meanwhile, Grover and Annabeth have been stretched on some other beds.
0: Yes, I would be interested in knowing how comfortable percy finds the waterbeds just because he's the son of the sea god oh interesting i never thought of that before like i feel like he would feel like he's like sleeping on a cloud Mm -hmm. you know like it is the best thing ever i told you i have weird takes on things maggie no that's a good take
1: so after percy frees annabeth and grover percy looks at annabeth and he says you look taller and annabeth (laughs) is not having it (laughs) I would also not be having it. I can just picture her looking at him and being like, what the heck, Percy? Perhaps with some stronger language, because I'm pretty sure 12-year-old Annabeth would curse like a sailor.
0: I mean, considering she's been at camp without any real, like, adult parent supervision, I'm sure she does. Yes. I would,
1: yeah. But this is middle grade, so we can't do that.
0: Even though I know that there's, like kids who are reading this are probably they've already heard all of it Mm-hmm. but that's not the point we're making
1: but the children rachel but what about the children we need to protect the children Baking crow fingers <laughs> <laughs> but the children rachel crow fingers so after escaping from Krusty, we get to our long-awaited arrival in the underworld where we are going to confront Hades and get him to give back the master bolt and all will be well. <laughs> uh, not exactly. First, our demigods have to convince Charon, the boatman, not to be confused with Chiron, which is how Percy often confuses him. They have to convince Charon, the boatman, to bring them down to the underworld. So Charon takes the dead to the underworld, right? yes Charon is like okay well you're ready to go um how'd you how'd you all die then percy says i nudged grover oh he said we um drowned in the bathtub all three of you Charon asked we nodded big bathtub Charon looked mildly impressed <laughs> i just you know what they're doing the best they can
0: um Earlier, when they were talking to Medusa, they claimed to be orphans working for the circus.
1: Yes, <laughs> I love their twelve-year-old logic in some of these scenes, and um, then Caron discovers that they're actually demigods. But he he looks at them and he says, "Here now," he said, "You couldn't read my name correctly. Are you dyslexic, lad? No," I said, "I'm dead." <laughs> this is one of the scenes that i really hope we get to see in the tv show i can just see walker scoble
0: saying that and it just Mm -hmm. i'm so excited
1: (laughs) fortunately percy does convince charon to take them to the underworld using very similar tactics that he used to defeat um procrustes in the last chapter um Mm -hmm. percy despite I think sometimes we think of Perseus being a little bit slow to like get on, get catch on to things, but he's very good at latching on to what characters want and how to maybe manipulate that or like play that to his advantage, at least. Yes. With Procrustes, he sees like, oh, this guy takes a lot of pride in his work. If I play that to my advantage, I can defeat him. With Charon, he sees that Charon, one, really likes money, and two, feels like he's being underused and underpaid. Which mm-hmm. aren't we all, let's be real.
0: Yes, indeed. Except, um, uh,
1: like, Jeff Bezos. Yeah, Jeff Bezos can be more underpaid, please and thank you. Yes, please, thank you. Bye. <laughs> but he's like, hey, you know, like, we're going to go see Hades. Like, if you'd bring us down there, I could put in a good word for you, maybe get you a pay raise. And Carol's like, well, I'm about to take a boat down anyway, why don't you all pile on? So I, I just like that about Percy. Percy is very emotionally intelligent. He surely is. Other random things talking about just introduction to the underworld stuff. He says the entrance to the underworld looked like a cross between airport security and the Jersey turnpike, <laughs> which I said sounds like hell to me. <laughs> Indeed. Um, That's on page 291. And then we get to one of, like, the strange, like, I don't want to say the strangest, but definitely one of, like, the f- bits that sticks out to me the most. They're watching some of the um, the dead spirits trying to enter the underworld, like, go through, quote-unquote, security. And Percy says, um, he's like, there's some, uh, he's like, that one guy looks familiar. And Grover says... He's that preacher who made the news, remember? Oh yeah, I did remember now. We'd seen him on TV a couple of times at the Yancey Academy dorm. He was this annoying televangelist from upstate New York who'd raised millions of dollars for orphanages and then got caught spending the money on stuff stuff for his mansion, like gold plated toilet seats and an indoor putt-putt golf course. He'd died in a police chase when his Lamborghini for the Lord went off a cliff. That's on page 292. And I just want to say that's a good take. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very good take. Thank you,
0: Rick, for that.
1: I have a I have a good handful of issues with the lightning thief. This is not one of them. No. This is a good take.
0: Yes, that that has aged like a fine wine. Mm hmm.
1: And I say this as someone who does identify as being religious, like, Yeah, we do. We we should hold them, these uh, televangelists who scam money out of people, more accountable. And I'm glad that we do that here. Um, But it also sparks an interesting, I guess, conversation about like, well, if he's a televangelist and he believes in a different God and Grover's just like, hey, maybe that's what he's seeing right now. Mortals' minds do weird things and we just kind of let it go.
0: That's a conversation that's also brought up in the Cain Chronicles, Right, with um, Anubis, right? Yes, Uh, but we will save that conversation for another season.
1: Yeah. It's very interesting because a lot of mythology is about afterlife and underworld and things like that. How Rick handles that in tandem with like, Mm -hmm. like modern religious beliefs. Then we get to the best part of the underworld, which is Cerberus. Cerberus. He is a very good boy. Yes, he is. And they get past him because Annabeth plays catch with him. And when they have to leave, Annabeth is like distraught over Cerberus. Mm -hmm, Because Cerberus is so sad. He just wants a friend. If I talk more about Cerberus, I'm going to be upset.
0: Then let's not talk more about Cerberus. Let's move on. Cerberus is a very good boy and we love him very dearly. We surely do.
1: And, and he, then finally, uh, oh, go ahead. one
0: last note, Cerberus does eventually get a friend later on
1: in the series. Yes, he does. So now we can move on. Now we can move on. Finally, we get to meet Hades. Rachel, you've got some things to say about Hades.
0: So they're, mm, they're very similar things to that of Ares, And it's why is Hades always portrayed as the villain and the bad guy? Because Hades is literally just the god of the dead. He is not god of death. He does not actively go in and like take people from the upper world to bring them to the underworld. Like that is quite literally not his job. His job is to watch over the dead. So
1: why is he always the villain? I don't have a good answer for you, but I do have a good um, thought that I just had. So Thanatos is the god of death, right? He's often responsible for bringing beings to the underworld. Yes, he is. Um, Think of Thanatos as like a parent dropping off their children at at daycare. Hades is the one in charge of that daycare, except the daycare is eternity. Yes, yes. And And Thanatos never comes back for his children.
0: But Thanatos also isn't bad. Like, death is not a bad thing. It is Mm -hmm. just the next thing. Yeah. But because it is so unknown, everybody is like, that is the scariest thing I can ever face. And like, Mm -hmm. yeah, sure. But it's not necessarily scary for you. It is scary
1: for everyone you are leaving behind yeah i have i have complicated feelings about hades as like a concept and character but because i i think i don't think that he is like the evil god i think that is an unfair portrayal Mm -hmm. that said i do feel like a lot of times we tend to swing in the other direction be like hades is good all the time like well no none of the gods are good no yeah hades Hades is like Hades exists like he is not bad he is not good he just kind of is yeah and either portraying him as being like like so great and like wonderful and like the best of the gods or portraying him as like this evil mastermind wants to kill everyone neither of those are really fair I think But again, that's just that might just be my hot take.
0: I would say that Hades is should be more true neutral than just about anything else. Mm -hmm. But those are my my Hades
1: feelings for the moment. So we confront Hades. We find out he's been holding Percy's mother captive. We find out that he doesn't actually have the lightning bolt. Hades thought that Percy had the lightning bolt and was bringing it to him.
0: Hades also thought that Percy had
1: his helm of darkness. Yep. So there's a whole, everything's a little bit confuddled right now. Um, I have another, this is like
0: an iceberg take, right? It's frozen uh solid. Um, Uh If there were any form of open communication on Mount Olympus, this entire book would be unnecessary
1: correct this this entire series but that that also implies that the gods would actually like not lie to each other which they seem prone to do which i guess is the open part of the communication but like yeah they've had millennia to build up distrust among each other and i don't think that's going to change
0: they need a good family counselor
1: (laughs) don't we all
0: and I will volunteer to be the one that smacks them with a tortilla. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, right. So Hades has been holding Sally Jackson hostage. And he he's like, hey, if you give me my Helm of Darkness back, like you can have your mother back. And Percy's like, I don't I don't. What are you talking about, um, sir, uncle, dude? And. Then Percy opens the backpack that Ares gave him earlier and Zeus's lightning bolt is in Percy's backpack and Percy's like uh this is awkward and Hades is like well if you don't have my uh my uh Helm of Darkness I'll take that instead. Percy's like uh I don't think that's a good idea and there's all kinds of stuff. Hades isn't gonna let them escape and finally Percy uses a gift that his father sent to him through um some Nereids, naiads I can't remember the difference. One of them is in rivers, one of them is in oceans. They're nymphs. And there's these three pearls, and if they smash them at their feet, they will be able to escape. So, but there's only three of them, which means somebody has to stay behind. So Percy, between, there's, there's four of them who need to escape. It's Percy, Annabeth, Grover, and Sally. But there's only three pearls. And per- Grover's like, I'll stay behind. Like, I- I'll stay behind. You take your mother with you. And I think Annabeth um, offers, too. Yeah. So Grover Grover volunteers first. He's like, I'm a satyr. We'll be fine. And then Annabeth says, like, no, you guys go ahead. Grover, you have to protect Percy. You have to get your searcher's license. Mm-hmm. And I'll cover for you. And then Percy's just fine. Like, both of you stop. Like, you're both coming with me. And Percy... Leaves his mother behind. And he's like, I'm going to... I'm going to come back and I'll fix this. But he also knows, like... He says... This is page 317. I desperately wanted to sacrifice myself and use the last pearl on her, but I knew what she would say. She would never allow it. I had to get the bolt back to Olympus and tell Zeus the truth. I had to stop the war. She would never forgive me if I saved her instead. I thought about the prophecy made at Half-Blood Hill, which, must, which seemed like a million years ago. You will fail to save what matters most in the end. I'm sorry, I told her. I'll be back. I'll find a way. And just as they're escaping the underworld, I just want to point out Percy's follow-through. He mentions both Charon's pay raise. And he says, and it wouldn't hurt to play with Cerberus once in a while. He likes red rubber balls. and then they escape the underworld
0: the world does not
1: deserve mr percy jackson correct so they they fly through whatever and they end up in the ocean in the pacific ocean they're rescued by some coast guard and they're like uh what's up with all y'all um what were you doing out in the middle of the ocean fully closed um but they don't get asked they don't get to ask too many questions and finally, on the beach, Percy confronts the mastermind of this operation, or so we think. Who is Ares? Ares, who was the one who gave Percy the, light, the lightning bolt in the backpack and had him deliver it to the underworld. They have a big fight. That's really all I kind of have to say about it. They have a big fight, and Percy gives Ares a run for his money. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily say Percy wins, but no. he does inflict a wound on Ares, or yes. a couple at least. Yeah, and Ares is like, "All right, you win this time, punk, but I'm gonna come back for you. Just you wait." And this
0: is Percy with like a week of training under his belt. Yep. Can you imagine Correct. if Percy had been there the entire, like, like since he was small? Percy, mm-hmm. he almost invincible,
1: right? Like, yeah. So we defeat Ares, we get the Helm of Darkness and the Lightning Bolt back. The Furies come to retrieve the Helm of Darkness. And then Percy's like, I have got to get back to Olympus and get this Lightning Bolt back. And the deadline is, like, tonight. So fortunately, he's able to um, summon some uh, sympathy from the gathered crowd. So there's a whole bunch of reporters there. They've seen this incident on the beach. This is page 335. The reporters fed us this whole story. We just nodded and acted tearful and exhausted, which wasn't hard, and played victimized kids for the cameras. All I want, I said, choking back my tears, is to see my loving stepfather again, Every time I saw him on TV calling me a delinquent punk, I knew somehow we would be okay. And I know he'll want to reward each and every person in this beautiful city of Los Angeles with a free major appliance from his store. Here's the phone number. The police and reporters were so moved that they passed around the hat and raised money for three tickets on the next plane to New York. Which I know is a little bit of like storytelling magic here, because how did they raise that much money from like a crowd of people? But at the same time, iconic Percy Jackson. And why did the police
0: just let these three kids go unaccompanied?
1: Yeah, it's fine. I'm not going to worry about it too much because I love it a lot. (laughs) The correct answer is The Mist. Yes, um... This is a moment where I'm okay suspending a little bit more disbelief. I agree. Because
0: just Percy, like,
1: the subtle drag on Gabe and, like, him, like, really playing it up for the cameras. It's just peak Percy Jackson. For sure. And finally, we get to Olympus. Percy has to go alone gets there the only people there the only gods there are zeus and poseidon and we finally see poseidon and you know what poseidon says he he and zeus have a little bit of a spat there for a second and poseidon's like look this is page 341 he says i have admitted my wrongdoing rachel's making a face are we ready I think this is, this might be the Rachel rant you've all been waiting for. I'm going to slam my crochet
0: down. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, Maggie and I often both fiddle with things while we're recording just to keep ourselves like in the moment and focused. I crochet. Besides the point. Um, What the actual heck. Poseidon you just called your child whom you consented to having right like you knew what could happen when you had intercourse with Sally Jackson you (laughs) knew what you were doing and you called him a mistake after he already beat air quotes around beat Ares rescued the thing saved your own ass like no you do not call Perseus Jackson a mistake when all of this could have been prevented like you you in this case are the monster because you made a mistake and then you called your child a mistake no your child is not a mistake and I would say that to any person who has a child gives birth to the child, and then later on tells their child that they are a mistake. No, you made choice after choice to keep that child. You don't get a say.
1: I don't think I have anything to add to that. That's pretty
0: succinct. I don't even think I need a cool down session. You think you're good? I think I'm okay.
1: Yeah. So Poseidon's parenting skills are like a one out of ten, maybe.
0: I would argue they're like a 0.25
1: out of 10. A 0.25. I can go with that. That's the that's lowest That's a weird fraction.
0: That, that's the lowest rating on uh, Storygraph, and it's a quarter, right? 0.25. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I saw Poseidon, he might only get half the amount of tortilla smacks that Zeus gets. Ares would probably be equivalent to Poseidon. Uh, we don't even meet my favorite god in this book he would only get maybe a thousand tortilla smacks
1: we'll come back to him
0: (laughs) i like how i'm ranking gods based on how much
1: (laughs) you slap them with a tortilla yes i think we need to do a tier list at the end of the season oh 100 but like the tiers are the tortilla slaps and I think we also need
0: the like type and size of tortilla, because I feel like like a little four inch corn tortilla would hurt a lot less than like an 18 inch flour tortilla. Yeah.
1: Zeus is getting the most with the worst tortilla. I, I had a horrible thought after you said flour tortilla, and I said that one would hurt Rachel the most.
0: Okay, rude.
1: Didn't need to be called I out thought, like that. I, that was very unkind, but I felt like you would get it would make you laugh a little bit.
0: You know, whenever my youngest brother wants to fight, he just goes, I'll just bring the flower.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So Percy and Poseidon do get to have like some kind of conversation in this scene, but I don't really want to talk about it. They just talk and it's it's awkward.
0: Yeah.
1: Although Poseidon does say one of my favorite lines. He does say the sea does not like to be restrained. And I do like that line. That's Mm -hmm. on page three forty five. He also says something nice. They're talking about Sally. Poseidon calls Sally a queen among women. And he's right, unfortunately. But he continues. I hate to admit that.
0: He continues with that line. I hate to admit that he was right about something, yes. But he continues Mm -hmm. that line. And this is me still on the rant, apparently. I know. I am sorry you were born, child. First of all, no, sir. But then the second sentence is really the the big one. Mm-hmm. And he says, I have brought you a hero's fate and a hero's fate is never happy. It is never anything but tragic. So you kind of see like why Poseidon is like, haha, yeah, you were a mistake and now you're here mm-hmm. and uh, hi, but also like, you still
1: shouldn't call your kid that.
0: And he continues on. You did well, Perseus. Do not misunderstand me. Whatever else you do, know that you are mine. You are a true son of the sea god. Poseidon, you can't go calling your kid a mistake and then being like, I'm proud of you. Like,
1: boy, the whiplash you are giving me right now. Mm -hmm. And Percy's pretty conflicted about this. I, I don't think he's really on good terms with Poseidon yet. He's kind of accepted it, but he's not like, that's my dad. You know what I mean? I need to ask you this, Rachel, the line where he says a hero's fate is never happy. Do you want to know what I wrote in the margins there? Is it about Song of Achilles? Might be. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Name one hero who was happy.
1: Do you want to know what's really funny? When I wrote that down, I had not read Song of Achilles yet.
0: (laughs) Uh, Does it make it more or less painful now that you've read it?
1: Oh, no, it was painful before I even read it. (laughs) I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's rough, But is it
0: more or less
1: painful? Probably more. I don't really know. I don't want to process those emotions right now. Poseidon's kind of a crappy parent. But you know who's not a crappy parent? Sally! Sally Jackson. We finally get a reunion between her and Percy. There's hugs and... Tears. ...feelings and tears and... Gabe is still being awful. And that's putting it lightly. That is putting it lightly. I, again, I don't want to give Gabe too much screen time. Um, But Percy's finally like, mom, you deserve better. And of course, Sally knows this. She doesn't need to be validated by her 12 year old son, right? Like, that's not what we're doing here.
0: While Sally doesn't need the validation, we do have the moment where Percy sees sally's reactions to gabe and how gabe was definitely more than just verbally
1: and emotionally abusive but also very much physically abusive towards sally exactly and i think what helps is that percy gives sally the reassurance of like i'm going to be okay you don't need to because the whole reason she married gabe was that he was able to deter monsters from percy like he had such a repulsively human stench i think is how grover puts it that he was able to deter monsters and Percy's like, look, mom, I'm going to be okay. You don't need to like do this for me anymore. Mm -hmm. And, but ultimately Sally is the one who takes matters into her own hands because the severed head of Medusa has been returned to Percy. And he's like, Hey mom, just like, hold on to this in case you need it. And you want to know what Sally does? She turns Gabe and his uh, poker playing friends into a statue, which she sells for a hefty sum of money and is finally able to move out of that apartment into a new place and get a fresh start and get Percy into
0: a new nice school and like, Mm -hmm.
1: (sighs) and you know what? I'm glad she deserves. I am glad I think, let me put the, put it this way. There is a time and place for redemption arcs. This was not one of them. And I am glad that Gabe is gone. Like, I am glad that we got to see this story where finally someone who is an abuser, who is a horrible person, gets what's coming to them. Mm-hmm. I think that is really rare for, especially stories of this era and even still. like There's always this of like, well, everyone deserves, like, everyone should get a chance at forgiveness, and you should always be forgiving, and, like, like those, there is a time and place for that, but there is also a time for, like, you need to protect yourself, and like, so, go Sally Jackson! And the last, like, chapter of the book is just kind of a summary, like, Percy returns to camp, everyone is celebrating, he actually has some other friends, we find out, he has some friends in the Hermes cabin who celebrate with him, mm-hmm. um, They don't get named, but we know they exist. So that's cool. Um, And we learn the truth about Luke. So we thought Ares was the mastermind, right? Like there's still one line of the prophecy that's not sitting well with Percy. Being betrayed by one who calls you a friend. And he's like, well, Ares thought we acted like my friend. But no, it's Luke. As it turns out, Luke has been trying to raise the Titan Lord um, Cronus up from Tartarus and he wanted to do so by delivering Zeus's lightning bolt to him and he tells Percy all this and Percy's like whoa 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 what and then Luke tries to kill him and almost succeeds almost succeeds Mm mm-hmm I think we're going to talk more about Luke in a second here, but I want to mention one thing real quick that Luke says during this scene. This is page 365. I saw a lot out there in the world, Percy, Luke said. Didn't you feel it? The darkness gathering, the monsters growing stronger. Didn't you realize how useless it all is? All the heroics being pawns of the gods. They should have been overthrown thousands of years ago, but they've hung on thanks to us half-bloods. I couldn't believe this was happening. Luke, you're talking about our parents, I said. He laughed. That's supposed to make me love them? Their precious Western civilization is a disease, Percy. It's killing the world. The only way to stop it is to burn it to the ground, start over with something more honest. And for all of Luke's, like, missteps here, his line about saying their precious Western civilization is a disease, we talked at length about that in the last episode. Mm -hmm. But that is an interesting point to bring up. And I don't know if I really disagree with Luke on that one. (laughs) I
0: would say I don't disagree with Luke on that one. Yeah.
1: Rachel, I think we're going to transition to talking about the characters. I think you have some things you want to say about Luke.
0: I. So we, 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 you and I have talked Mm -hmm. at length about my Luke feelings. So many times, and I have always had a lot of Luke feelings. And the the biggest Luke feeling I have is just a pure sadness for him. Mm-hmm. Because, and this is this is this is a this is a lukewarm take. <laughs> it's a lukewarm take. Luke just needed an adult who loved him unconditionally and without any reservation. And yep. to those listening, you might be saying, well, you know, what about his mom? Or what about Chiron? Or what about his dad? And like, okay, sure, we learn more about his mom later, so I'm not going to go into that now. Hmm. Hermes can't really interact with him like he he being Luke and he being Hermes have interacted a couple of times maybe once twice max but they can't really communicate with each other and then there's this almost resentment towards for and from Chiron because Luke came to camp with Annabeth and they survived instead of Talia And the whole point of Grover going out was to rescue Talia. So I feel like Luke has this feeling of Chiron must hate me because I am the reason Talia's dead. And I feel like Chiron might even have some feelings of okay, I gained these two children, but I did not succeed in what I was supposed to do. I I don't want to say that that Luke can be fixed because I do not think that Luke at
1: the point of this book starting could have, he is already too far down the path. Yeah. But you think there could have been an earlier intervention that could have stopped this problem before it arose
0: easily hands down. Yeah. He just needed someone and he didn't get Mm -hmm. anyone.
1: Yep. Agreed. So fortunately, Percy does survive Luke's attack on him. And he does survive. And the lightning thief does have what I would consider a happy ending. And the book ends with Percy deciding uh, he has to make this decision. Is he going to stay at camp throughout the school year? Or is he going to go home and try to live like a quote unquote normal life again? Mm hmm. And he he decides he's going to go back home and be with his mom. And the book ends, I'll be back next summer. I'll survive until then. After all, I am your son. I asked Argus to take me down to cabin three so I could pack my bags for home. And so that's how the book ends. And Annabeth goes home. And Annabeth goes home too. For the first time think- in like six years. Mm -hmm. she goes home to live with her father and stepmother and her two stepbrothers Mm -hmm. i actually want to talk about annabeth real quick because if you have luke feelings i have annabeth feelings annabeth by the end of this book has grown a lot Mm -hmm. and i don't remember if i said this on the record already so i'm gonna say it again her character arc maybe not may not be as obvious as percy's is throughout these books But I think a lot of its beauty comes in its understatement. Mm -hmm. Um, Her growing to see Percy as a friend is a huge deal for her because not only is she learning to trust someone again after she has been continually betrayed and left behind by the people that she loves, her dad doesn't really care for her. She doesn't feel that her dad cares for her. She's never had really any communication with her mother Luke has kind of gotten bitter and turned away from her. Talia's gone. She has nobody. So, and this is all like by the time she is 12. Right. So she kind of befriends Percy, but she's not really sure about him. And she grows to trust him, which is a huge deal. But not only that, she, Percy, as a son of Poseidon, Poseidon and Athena do not get along. Like that is a big thing in mythology. they have, Their whole spat about the naming of Athens, yada, 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 olive trees, etc. So like, for all intents and purposes, she should dislike or even hate Percy, right? Mm -hmm. But she says, no, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to choose my own path. And she says as much to Percy as they're talking about like how things are going on at camp. This is on page 251. She says, I don't know what my mom will do, as in like where Athena will side in the war if the gods break out into war. I don't know what my mom will do. I just know I'll fight next to you. Why? Because you're my friend, seaweed brain. Any more stupid questions? Which is a huge deal. And right before Percy's fight with Ares, she gives Percy her Camp Half-Blood necklace Mm -hmm. as like... A sign of, like, look, like, uh, kind of like a good luck charm, but also, like, Athena and Poseidon reconciled. Yes. And I really love Annabeth. I love her growth and how, like, she decides, like, my family has hurt me, but I'm going to give it a try again because I think we can do better.
0: Which is a direct foil to Luke. Luke.
1: Who mm-hmm. said,
0: My family has hurt me and I am turning my back on them.
1: Yeah. And I want to just add like a small caveat there because there are times when you do need to say, People have hurt me and I need to. It, it is important to set boundaries in your life, right? Right. But, and especially when those, when the breaching of those boundaries has caused you pain.
0: Mm hmm.
1: Um, But I also think there is a difference between that and also the situation that Annabeth finds herself in as mistakes have been made. But I do believe that the people that I love can do better. And I'm going to give this another chance. Agreed. I was going to say, do we want to talk about where Percy ends up at the end of this book?
0: Real fast. We
1: can. Mm hmm. That's not where I was going to go with it. Where were you going to go?
0: That leads us into our hot take about Annabeth.
1: Yeah. But I do have, I I have one hot take about Annabeth. And it's kind of like an overall hot take. It's not specifically related to the lightning thief. But so all demigods are dyslexic and have ADHD. Like this is a canon thing. It has to do with um, battle reflexes and being able to read ancient Greek and not necessarily the Latin alphabet, et cetera, et cetera. I find that more often than not, the Percy Jackson fandom as a whole has either forgotten or erased Annabeth's dyslexia and ADHD. Mm-hmm. We always think of Percy as like, oh, he struggles with reading. And like, he has like these very impulsive and ADHD like tendencies. And those are all true. But Annabeth also has very similar things going on with her. And it kind of gets me worked up a little bit because it's indicative of how, especially with ADHD, girls are significantly less likely to be diagnosed with ADHD, especially at a young age. Mm -hmm. And that leads to a lot of struggles for women as they grow older of like, why can't I keep up with my peers in the workplace? Why, like... Or, like, in college, and why am I struggling so much? I shouldn't be struggling. And it also kind of, like, I remembered the other thing. It also kind of feels like the stereotype of, like, well, you're so smart. You can't have a learning disability. Mm-hmm. Like, well, Annabeth is a child of Athena. She's so wise and she's bookish. Like, she can't have these struggles in school. Well, yeah, she does. She probably struggles with learning in a structured environment. Yeah which 100%. is the case for many students with ADHD, I would say. Yep. 100%. Stop erasing Annabeth's dyslexia and ADHD. It has been almost 20 years. Let's like do better about this, guys. Yep. Yep. <laughs> That's my hot take about Annabeth. Justice for Annabeth. Justice for Annabeth. Uh, But what do we want to say about Percy as we wrap up? I love him. I don't know if I really have much else to say about him. I think he really does grow a lot in this book. Obviously, because he's kind of the protagonist, but... Kind of? Yeah. (laughs) I know. Maggie, do you know what the title of this series is? Son of the sea God. (laughs) See previous episode. (laughs) I like the choices that Percy makes are really impactful. And while I can't really, I don't know if I can really define his character growth in this book. It sets up a lot for how he grows in the rest of the series. Does that make sense to you? This is kind of a hot take, but I wouldn't
0: say it's like piping hot. If, percy had sympathized more with medusa he would have joined luke i think that's a good take and if he had i i also feel like if at this point he knew more about this new world he was in he would have joined luke Mm -hmm. but because he was gaslit so much he didn't know enough to know entirely what was wrong
1: I do think the choices that Percy makes are the right choices. Agreed. But he wasn't fully informed about them. Right. Which is, makes things pretty complicated. Agreed. As per
0: usual, I believe that all of the characters in this book deserve a hug and a nice, like, just therapy session. Mm-hmm. And maybe a warm cookie.
1: Maybe a blanket, too. And a blankie.
0: Preferably one that was not lit
1: on fire. (laughs) As you did in the last episode.
0: (laughs) Nobody needs to know.
1: Well, now they they know. How would they know? Because you said it on the podcast recording. Shh.
0: I do the editing. (laughs) Well,
1: Rachel, that brings us to the end of The Lightning Thief. We did it we did it we did took it. us four hours but we surely did it hey
0: but four hours for two
1: raw episodes is pretty good you know what i think that might be better than how ha- well that's probably better than how we did for um merciful crow and faithless hawk considering that took us five and a half hours to record
0: yeah that's better yeah <laughs> that was rough
1: I mean, not that it wasn't good, but like that was those were long. That is my
0: uh normal amount of talking per day. That is
1: so much talking, right? Um, The day after we recorded those episodes, I know you know this because I was with you, but like I could feel it in my voice how much talking I had done. Mm-hmm. And I may even feel that tomorrow. I guess we'll find out. Good thing we both have tomorrow off. Woo! Uh, don't so, forget to hydrate. I'm going to drink some more water right now. Percy Jackson would be proud of me. I am also proud of you. So in our next episode, we are going to talk about the Lightning Thief musical, which is a started as sort of an off-Broadway show, Now it and then it was on Broadway. It was touring the United States, um, but it is based on the book The Lightning Thief.
0: Mm-hmm. It is
1: one of my favorite musicals, which, quite frankly, is not saying too much because I don't listen to a ton of musicals. But I do really enjoy it, and I am very excited to talk about it with Rachel. Um, We'll just be spending one episode on that as kind of an interlude before we get to the next book in the series.
0: Indeed. Uh, I do listen to a lot of musicals, and I can certify that The Lightning Thief is among my, definitely my top ten.
1: Brilliant. Well, you heard it from the source, guys. I am the source. You are the source. (laughs) Well... Until next time, we will see you again with another episode of I'm Not the Book Expert, But She Is. Indeed. Have a good day, everybody. Or good night if you're listening to this at night, which is when we are recording it.
0: Or a good morning, because it is almost morning now.
1: Have a good whatever time of day it is for you. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of I'm Not the Book Expert, But She Is. You can find us online at bookexpertpod.wordpress.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at bookexpertpod. If you enjoy our show, please consider leaving us a review on our website or wherever you find your podcasts. We'll see you again soon.